Hey everyone, before we jump into this really incredible episode that I'm really excited to, to share with you, I just wanted to take a minute. It's been just over a week since the shooting and massacre happened in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub. Many of you probably have heard of it and been staying on top of the news, and I'm sure many of you are hurting just as much as I am because of this. And I just wanted to take a couple of of moments to say that the the violence that happened against the the LGBTQIA community, specifically on Latin night, and the impact that it's had on the Latinx community down in Orlando um, has really broken my heart. And to everybody out there who is hurting, I just want to let you know that you're in my thoughts. And this is one of the reasons why the podcast is so important to me. We have to do away with toxic masculinity. We have to do away with homophobia. We have to do away with extremism that believes violence is the answer. And this was absolutely something that um, has just really, really hurt so many of us. And so to all of you that listen, I just want to say thank you because I know every single person that listens to this podcast knows that diversity is important and that allowing each human being to express their own sexuality and to express their own sexual orientation in a way that that is meaningful to them is important. And so thank you so much for helping to make the world a better place where more people feel safe being themselves, where um, it's okay to be gay or bi or trans. And so I just wanted to take a quick moment to say that the, the shootings in Orlando were a horrible thing. And what we should be doing right now is really centering the the communities that are most impacted, which is the Latinx community um, down in Orlando and voices of color um, and just everybody that's a member of the queer community, whether you're bi or gay or trans, whatever it is, um, this is the time for us to just come together. So um, thank you so much for listening and for helping to make the world a better place. Um, hug your loved ones extra tight and make sure that they know that no matter who they are or how they live their lives, you love them and accept them. And um, yeah, just love each other. I have two other quick notes. Uh, this interview is really uh, a pretty personal chat that happens between me and the guest where we're kind of trying to untangle some complicated questions and we don't really come to a resolution, but I think that that's important for everyone to hear that sometimes there isn't an answer yet. Um, we do mention the name of a conference that afterwards we both agreed we shouldn't actually share um, since it's a conference that's near and dear to both of our hearts and we hadn't gotten their, their consent um, to be mentioned in this way. So you will hear two brief little beeps when the name is mentioned just to help 
um, protect that particular community. And also this interview was, was recorded a few weeks ago before I got all of my sound studio settings fixed. So, um, the sound is better, but not quite what I want it to be. So just hang in there. Thank you so much for being patient. You'll see that as the next couple of weeks unfold, uh, the sound is tremendously better, which I'm really excited about. So here we go with this week's episode. Thank you so much. And just know that I'm sending love out into the world. And if you have been hurt and struggling as much as I have this week by the violence, then please take care of you because you are important. On with the show. It's Dawn Sarah with this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. And this week, I have a very special guest. Uh, she was part of the Explore More Summit. And we had a really juicy discussion about sex and depression and introversion and all kinds of great stuff. So I want to welcome you to the show. We've got Joe Ellen Naughty, who is a writer and speaker. So I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this topic with you because it's something I think about so much. Yes. Yay. Yay. So I got this wonderful message from Joe Ellen about a week ago that said, can we please have a discussion about the difference between sex positivity and sex performativity and enthusiasm? And I, of course, was like, well, yes, because <laughs> I think that's a, a topic that needs more attention and that we need to talk about. What made you just be like, ah, I need to talk about this? I feel like I'm going to kind of out myself um, in, in my own like city community. I've been struggling where I live with um, the kind of the spaces we have because I live in I live in Portland, Oregon, and we are this this fabulous, quirky, wonderful, weird city um, where most of the spaces devoted to kind of anything sex related are very, in in my experience, performative. They're very you know, wink and a nudge, there's going to be sex happening there. And then people are in costumes and everything's very loud and it's all very extrovert focused and it's never felt comfortable for me. And, um, I, I ran a sex geekdom hub for a while here and eventually stopped doing that because I couldn't convince Portland that a space where sex was a topic, but not a goal was worthwhile yeah and it's um i went to a great talk at the playground conference in the fall that talked about creating spaces that were about sex but not about sex right so where asexuals had a space or people who didn't want to publicly engage in their sexuality but wanted to be part of the sex positive sex positive community yes could be comfortable and i think that's so important um because a lot of times it does feel like the the right way to be in this world in this community is you know i joke that it feels like the price of admission is your genitals mm -hmm. and that should not be it mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting that you messaged me when you did, because I just had an experience along these exact lines. I 
presented at a conference two weekends ago that was put on by Virginia Tech called the Gender, Bodies, and Technology Conference. And it was an academic conference that I happened to sneak my way into. And um, it was all of these presentations about like gender and queerness and bodies and sexism. And there were all kinds of really rich discussions about sexuality and gayness and queerness. But the space didn't feel sexualized at all. And I felt so comfortable there because I didn't feel like at any point, if I had a conversation about sex or experience, that it was going to kind of come with some type of unspoken hint, hint, wink, wink invitation. And sometimes I feel that when I go to sex conferences in the sex positive community, I feel like there's this like unspoken, there's going to be tons of orgies after we're all done being professionals. And, you know, like, are we flirting or are we not? Cause you know, we're all at a sex conference. So of course there's going to be sex. And sometimes I feel a little uncomfortable in spaces that are just like super sexualized because we are all open about talking about sex. So I, I just, it was so fascinating to me that I felt so safe and comfortable at this conference where we were talking about all all of these things. And of course it was an academic conference, which I think is a little bit different than more like practical sex conference, which some of the others are, but it occurred to me, I hadn't felt that like that's super safe at a conference in a while. Yeah, I um, I, I took I took a, a like a year long break off from uh, conferences and and that whole circuit. And when I went back, the first one I went back to was uh, mm-hmm. and what I remember feeling struck by was how it was um, a bit geekier mm-hmm. than than sex-based conferences I've been at and a bit quieter. And while, you know, it was all of us sex geeks, I felt like there was a bit more subtlety Mm -hmm. to the like, Hey, sex party stuff going on. Right. Right. And I remember feeling so relieved Mm -hmm. because at conferences I'd been at in the past, it was like the thing to do was to be at that big party in, you know, in the evenings mm-hmm. and, you know, to show your face and, and make sure you were there. And, and I remember the space feeling a lot like we were all there, we were doing our work and, mm-hmm. you know, this was an option and you maybe you were there, maybe you weren't. And honestly, it wasn't discussed and that I appreciated a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I always say building introversion into my brand was the smartest thing I ever did <laughs> because um, now people say to me, you know, we're having this party. I know you won't come, but, you know, you're welcome there. Mm-hmm. And then I can happily get into bed and watch Bob's Burgers in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but it does come with that feeling of like, well, am I, am I doing it wrong? Mm-hmm. Am I, am I the boring person? Am mm-hmm. I, and that's such not like, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. I, I shouldn't be at a conference where, and I'm going to get egomaniacal for a moment where I just presented research that no one else in the world has. Mm-hmm. 
feeling like I'm somehow failing because yeah. I'm not naked in front of my colleagues. Yeah, yeah. and and about the sex geekdom thing, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's so fascinating to me. And I think it just says so much about our sex negative culture. But I find that so many of those I, same ideas kind of bleed into sex positivity where you know, at least in the DC hub, we have a a handful of people who are really dedicated to actually like having the discussions and geeking out and being super fun about it and enjoying each other's company. But there's this constant barrage of people who see the word sex Mm -hmm. and assume that it means sexualized space or coming on to people or group sex. And I really appreciate people who enjoy those kinds of activities and spaces that, you know, do play parties and that do BDSM events and all that kind of stuff. But it just kind of seems like it's so hard to talk about sex and to to leave room for all of the different ways that all of us experience sex without there being the expectation of sex. And I agree with you that sometimes I feel a little bit like an outsider because I'm not at all of the play parties and I'm not negotiating threesomes and foursomes with all the other sex geeks when I'm like somewhere where they all are. And I definitely have this kind of like fraud feeling that comes up sometimes because I'm not, you know, in the middle of all these activities. And it's not that I don't want to do those things. It's just that that may not be the place where I feel safe or want to do them. And, but I still kind of feel a little bit on the outside sometimes. One of the things that I struggle with so hard is my background. I'm somebody who came to this world late. I, you know, I, I started writing. I, all of this, I started, I was 33 and how it all came about was I had always felt disconnected from sexuality. I I felt like the world of, you know, sex and, and pleasure and all that stuff. I thought that was something that belonged to other people. It was kind of like, you know, when you were a teenager and you'd go into like the record store and the people behind the counter would be way cooler than you. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of my view of, of sex. Mm -hmm. I thought like, there were people who were like way into sex and they were so much cooler than I was. And um, then I started writing my site and learning and, and all that stuff. And now whenever I think of events, I think of community, I think of, you know, the websites, whatever, I think of the people coming across all this stuff who were like me Mm -hmm. and you know, and yes, for there are going to be a bunch of people who find that stuff and are like, woo, exciting, and rip off their clothes and jump in. And then there are going to be the people who find, you know, whatever group they stumble upon and see that, like, the next four events are everybody naked, you know, after one orientation, and are terrified mm-hmm. and decide, no, for real. I am not part of this. This is not, there's not room for me here. Yeah. It's not, it's not an inclusive way to build our communities. It's not. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's, I t- yeah. 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 I went to sex down South last fall 
And it was a wonderful conference for so many reasons. I mean, I've never been at a conference about sexuality that was so beautifully diverse. And I went to a session all about asexuality. And the person who was presenting was so wonderful and had all of these really rich examples that really helped to make clear what it is actually like to go through life like fully asexual. And one of the things that they were bringing up was how confused they feel at sexuality conferences and in sexual spaces where they may want to be able to talk about sex and about their experiences with it. But there seems to be all of this other stuff going on that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't understand all the sexual tension that's going on and like all the flirting. And so they were talking about how they feel so on the outside and so excluded, even in spaces that are supposed to be inclusive of all the different sexual experiences. And I just like that really made an impression on me of for me, sex positivity is really about embracing every single type of experience when it comes to sex, including people who either choose not to engage in sex, people who don't have any kind of interest in sex, um, you know, for whatever reason. And even people who feel like they're super sexual, but just don't want to engage in those different spaces. And I think it's so hard to remember that there's lots of people that aren't like us. Yeah. And I think that's where like the sex positivity community fails a little bit yeah. is there seems to be this kind of like inner circle of sex positivity where you're poly and kinky and interested in group sex dynamics and you're sexual. So you're not asexual or, or anywhere really gray, like you're sexual and you're queer. And there's a lot of people I've talked to people at, at conferences who have kind of like said, uh, I'm monogamous. So I don't mm. really feel like I fit here. Yeah. You know, because all of the conversation is about, open relationships and how to do poly better. And my partner's over there hooking up with somebody and, mm -hmm. you know, and I think like, it's so challenging. How do we create spaces that allow people to feel safe, to engage in these sexual conversations and these sexual interludes and these play parties, but then also leave space for the people who are opting out of those things too. Um, and I think that that's, I think that it's just a really complicated, rich topic that we haven't really figured out yet. A lot of it is about like walking the walk of the things we talk mm -hmm. um, because uh, in a lot of ways we haven't looked at how those things apply to ourselves. So there's this, and I don't know that this is the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway, this machismo mm -hmm. that kind of goes with... Um, and I remember this drove me crazy even before I came into this world. This, well, you know, I'm just very sexual. And that's like your hall pass yeah. for any behavior. And it's like, get, get over it. We're all sexual. Even asexual people have a sexuality. It's yeah. asexual, right? 
using that and saying that it's um it's kind of like saying like well i i'm just what what can i say i'm just you know more this than you are mm-hmm. and if you were as much this you would understand but you're not yeah and a that's just so unfair cuz you have no idea what people are doing behind their doors right um and B, it's so the opposite of what we teach people. We yeah. teach people wherever you are is okay. And when we do that to each other, there's such an element of shaming to it that I, I, I just, that, yeah, I, I feel ways about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a, a consent thing that we kind of throw out the window. Yeah. Um, when we assume that we're all on the same page, you know, I, I, I am non-monogamous, but there are so many ways to do that. Yeah. And recently I was, uh, with a partner and we were sharing a meal with another non-monogamous couple. And, um, these were friends, but the, um, the gentleman from the other couple kept reaching across the table and taking my hand and stroking it and like trying to look in my eyes. And, and, and so there's, and you know, I know there is that, that model of non-monogamy where like, we're all sleeping with each other and we're all friends and we're all acknowledging that all the time. And one big happy family. That's not my model. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, whoever I'm with at, at the moment, that's where my energy is. So that made me very uncomfortable. Frankly, I want, I want people to, to get my consent before they flirt with me. Yeah. It was funny because this person was saying wonderful things about consent and our community and how to make it better. And, and at the same time was engaging in this behavior. And it's kind of this disconnect that goes on with, kind of how we behave versus how we talk. Yeah. And it's because we think, um, it's kind of like how you don't treat your family as well as you treat strangers. Yep. <laughs> right? So we think we're, we're all one big, happy, sexy family. Yeah. And I think we need to be a bit more aware of what everybody's parameters are. Yes. I think that's so important. Yeah. You know, something that just like really stood out to me when I was talking to Meg John Barker for the summit was they were talking about how we have this tendency to overvalue sex and to place too much emphasis on our sexuality and our intimate relationships when there's so much rich opportunity for getting so many of our needs met from platonic relationships and platonic friends. And that seems to be something that we, that we tend to devalue and overlook and Something about that, and I haven't really formulated my thoughts yet, but something about that kind of resonated with some of these other conversations I've had about sex positivity. And I know that Connor Habib was actually saying that he feels like sex positivity exists within the broken framework of sex negativity and that he thinks we need to move in completely beyond mm. it and we need a whole different framework. Yeah. And I, the more that I see how sex positivity plays out, the more I agree with that of, I think we need a whole different paradigm and conversation about sex and that we're also really mindful of where 
the emotional labor lays in the types of conversations that we have um, and how we're navigating consent and how we're navigating expectations. And yeah, I think there's so much opportunity for us as educators and us just as like a global community to, to grow and to create safer spaces and to just ensure that we're, we're meeting people where they are and not where we think they should be. It's, I, I love that thing that Connor Habib said. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, ah, that's so fabulous because for a while, what I've been thinking was sex positivity has been this giant swing to the other side. Yes. This it's a reaction. reaction. Right. Yeah. You say we can't do this. We're going to do all of this. Right. And we're going to do it all naked and in your face. Right. And I think now it's time to like, we, okay, we've accepted it. We've had our collective group tantrum mm-hmm. and we've all realized we, we can do these things. N- now that we know that let's get constructive about it yeah. and make sure that there really is space for everybody who wants to be there. Um, mm-hmm. I had a conversation with somebody a couple months back who talked about um, like opening up the kink world in terms of like showing people who are afraid of the term kink that really they, they are like this thing you do. It's a little kinky and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like kink is not terrifying, but then in the same conversation was like all of these 50 shades, people who've invaded our world. And I was like, see, we can't talk out of both sides of our mouths. We can't, we can't, Oh yeah, we, it can't be, you have to be the real people. Yeah. And, also, it's okay, right? Yeah. yeah. I see that a lot in um, spaces. This this has happened to me so many times that I've lost count where I'm at uh, some type of BDSM class or I'm at some type of conference. And, you know, we've just had this huge conversation about consent. Mm-hmm. And then immediately <laughs> you turn around and, like, people are going to hug you, but they're already (sighs) hugging you as they ask if it's okay. Yep. Or they're, you know, like putting their hands on you and just assuming it's okay because you're laughing at what they're saying, you know, and, and I think there's so many ways to have those conversations so that we're modeling the consent and embodying the consent but it also doesn't feel awkward. You know, like I feel like the yeah. backlash to that is, well, then all of us are just going to be feeling really awkward and talking too much. And, and, you know, I think that's kind of like a tantrum response too. Yeah. of, you know, I don't have to open my arms and be moving towards you when I ask if I can give you a hug, a hug. Yeah. you know? And, um, I remember I was at a conference with my partner. I don't remember which one it was, but someone just kept kind of like touching us. And afterwards Mm. we were like, we didn't consent to that, you know? And I think that that's another place where we talk a lot about the expectations, but then we don't actually like really thoughtfully follow through. Um, And I think it's another example of people assuming everyone's on the same page as them. 
Yeah. Like, I wouldn't mind if you hugged me, so you're not going to mind if I hug you. I hug you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also think like so many people are so aware of consent and trauma and violations, but then so few people are actually trauma informed. Yep. And really don't take into account what it might be like to be in a space if you're a survivor. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Like, like we can't be talking out of both sides of our mouths. In Portland, what I'm finding is um, we've got a lot of people who have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yep. so you know, they are aware of consent. People think if they say the word yep. a certain amount of times, it's it's like everything's fine. Yep. Um. Like, I keep being asked into conversations when consent becomes an issue and then quickly kind of pressed out of those conversations when my response is anything less than, you guys are killing it 24-7. Yeah. Um, because there's enough inform- there's enough knowledge to know that consent is important, mm-hmm. but not enough knowledge to know that there's a lot of nuance to it. Right. That it's not just as long as you have good intentions and know the word consent, everything will be fine all the time. Yeah. And I remember when I first moved here being invited to a group um, that, that does a lot of like super sexualized events. And somebody saying to me, you know, it's, it's great. It's, you know, they're all about consent. You can leave the, the events anytime you want. And me stopping him and saying, but I can leave anything anytime I want. That's, that's life. Yeah. Like the fact that they're not going to lock me in. <laughs> it's not a is that, like, that's, that's just not kidnapping. Like, yeah. 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 And, and you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize, I think that, uh, whether you're kind of, I don't want to say whether you're sex negative, but maybe you're just not part of the sex positive community and, you know, you're more just kind of like living in mainstream versus the sex positive folks. I feel like there's still kind of this like fear of having conversations because then I might be rejected or told I'm not Mm -hmm. good enough. Yeah. And I think that's where this new paradigm has to go of we're all becoming more resilient and more emotionally intelligent and being more self-aware and mindful of our own needs and wants and experiences so that we're not putting these expectations on others to validate our sex positivity or to validate our, our sexiness or, or our kinkiness. And, you know, we're, we're having better conversations at the beginning that are truly about getting to know this other person and what their experiences are and what they might want and then sharing mine and then deciding how we're going to move forward. I had a very interesting, very tense conversation with a very close friend a couple months back when Facebook changed their photo rules. Mm-hmm. Cause like too many people were getting reported for like breastfeeding pictures. Right. And this friend, what they did was they took a super realistic, gorgeous painting from like the Louvre and um, it's a nude, and they cropped it down so it was just like the vulva from the painting. Mm-hmm. And they made it their profile picture. And they got a couple of complaints that, like, I, I didn't 
like you're, you're putting a vulva in my face all day yeah. and I'm not comfortable with that. And they came to me and they were like, isn't that ridiculous? And I said, no, I actually agree. Yeah. I'm not, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this. And their take was like, why aren't people comfortable with bodies? And I was like, this is genitals. You're shoving genitals in my face. Mm-hmm. And their take was, but they're not mine. <laughs> it's like, but if, if a dude hires an artist to paint a portrait of his dick and sends that, it's still an unsolicited dick pic. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, and so their take was very like, it's sex negative the way we're not comfortable with bodies. And also this is beautiful art. Whereas my take was still, you can't without consent shove genitals in people's faces. Mm-hmm. It's just not cool. I had an experience a couple of months ago where someone tagged me on Twitter of a fully nude, full, like full <laughs> dick pic of himself yep. and was asking for feedback on his pubic hair. I replied back, like, I did not consent to being tagged in this or looking at it. You did not ask ahead of time, and I'm not going to answer your question. Please remove this immediately. Yeah. One of my favorite things that a, a friend who I have a, like, flirtatious online relationship with um does and i didn't actually truly appreciate it until i had the uncomfortable meal with the hand holding (laughs) (laughs) is he'll he'll message me and he'll he'll say like what what are you up to Do do you feel like flirting a little bit right now or he'll be like i've got a like i have a dick pic that came out really well do you do you do you want to see it like i mean it's cool if you don't but if you want to, it's here. Mm, yeah. And yeah, he always checks in to be like, you know, I'm here. If you're not interested right now, you know, whatever. And I love that because it, there have been times where I've been like, yeah, I'm really not up for your dick right now. <laughs> the powerful thing about that is one, it makes it clear that there's no expectation from him Like, he's not defining his value on whether or not you receive this dick pic. Right. And I think that that's really liberating. And, you know, at the same time, making it really clear that he has something that he's interested in sharing. And so he's asking. And I really love that. Like, I wish more of us made those kinds of invitations um, for people of, I did this thing that I'm really excited about and I'd love to share it with you, but only if you're in a place where you want to receive it. And I think the other thing that's great about that is instead of just like blasting something at someone and then getting kind of a lukewarm response from them because they didn't really want it, but they're trying to be nice. If instead you ask and they're like, hell yeah, I want to see that mm-hmm. when you send it, the response you get is probably going to be really awesome. And that's the thing people don't get, even, even in our community, that, that, that's what, that's the dynamic consent creates Mm -hmm. that you go from like throwing something out there and hoping to like everybody being super excited for what's about to happen. That's so much more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I actually got a question from a listener that is kind of a little bit on this topic. It's about language rather than about sex. But the question is really about, like, how far should we go to be not offensive? And at what Mm. point are we, like, neutering ourselves? And so I'm wondering if you want me to read the question and we can kind of, like, roll around in it a little bit. Because I think it's a perfect extension to where we are. Okay. Okay. 
So I got a question from Anubis that says, I was listening to episode 78 and you were talking about an activity that you did in a workshop about potentially offensive words. So last year at Woodhull, I did a workshop um, called something like, Hey, cunts, bitches, and something mm. else. And it was yeah. like deconstructing language that could potentially be offensive to others. Yeah. And so this, this listener says, you mentioned how the word lame can be mm. offensive to disabled people. And I totally understand how that word can be offensive, but how about words like crazy, insane, or any other word that has the potential to hurt an individual? Uh, my deceased sister had severe cerebral palsy and was severely disabled and couldn't talk, but wasn't mute. And I could be insulted by proxy by any of the words mentioned here or in episode 78. But what I'm wondering is how important is context when using these potentially insulting words? I personally think that outright blacklisting words is the same as censorship, say for books or prostitution. I'm all about being as inoffensive as possible and I'm a firm believer that words can be weapons, but some people seem super sensitive, period. I believe context is supreme with word usage. Do you agree? Why should lame be removed, which essentially removes it from the dictionary? And I think that this lack of flexibility takes us back to days where gay rights weren't even allowed. So, you know, they kind of were, were questioning language usage and how much care should we take to make others feel safe. So, um, funny story, and it's funny because I talk so much about mental health and, um, and that's, you know, I advocate for people dealing with mental health issues. A word I had a really hard time letting go of was crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I really got why we shouldn't be implying it to people, but I still wanted to be able to be like, oh my God, this traffic is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but last year I wrote a, I wrote a piece called calling people lazy or calling people crazy is lazy. Do this instead. Ah, I um, love that. Yeah. And it came about uh, because a lot of people were angry at somebody and they all started, they all went to the like, she's a lunatic, she's crazy, she's nuts. And it, it kind of made me really aware of our usage of that word. And in writing that piece, I realized we kind of couldn't pick and choose. Yeah. And that got me thinking about it. And then watching my friends and family start to self-correct after they read it, because they started like they would be with me and they'd be like, I read this book. It was great. It was ridiculous. And I was like, okay, well, if they can do this, yeah. I can do it too. Yeah. And what I kind of started to realize was there's no word that I'm so attached to that my feelings on it mm -hmm. are more important than someone else's hurt, right. someone else's pain. Yeah, and I also think that, you know, I, I saw this word list recently, and I, I'm sure I saved the link, but for the life of me, I can't remember who put it out. It might have been, like, Autostraddle or um, uh, one, of the, one of the folks that writes about mental health a lot, but they were like, here's all of these words that you can use instead of mm -hmm. saying crazy, insane, you know, yep. lame. And the word list was so rich 
Yeah. And so much more accurate. You know, it's like when I think about saying like, oh my gosh, she's crazy. That doesn't really tell me a lot other than your reaction to her. So I don't know if you feel she's being irresponsible or if you feel she's being too reactive or too sensitive or if you feel like she's having an unreasonable, in your opinion, response to what's going on. So, you know, I also feel like those words don't really give us a lot of information other than to communicate how you feel about someone else and that you're basically (laughs) disagreeing with them. And, you know, the more, and, and you're so right. Like the more that I've removed certain words from my vocabulary, like crazy, um, I've done a lot of work to remove crazy and insane from Mm -hmm. my, from the words that I use, I've started becoming a lot more articulate about what I actually Mm -hmm. mean. It's like, I read this book and it was crazy. Could mm-hmm. mean so many things, so much. Yeah. you know? But instead, if I say, I read this book and the, the story had this incredible twist. Mm-hmm. Now the person that I'm talking to has such a better idea of why I'm excited about it. And are we clinging to certain words because we just don't want to have to do the work of coming up with a different word, even though there's now a bajillion lists out there of all these words that we can eliminate and better words to use. Are we so worried about our like super temporary discomfort that honestly (laughs) using that word doesn't even really come up for me much anymore because I've just practiced it enough that it's not really part of my lexicon. And now I'm helping to actually make a statement about the kind of world and the kind of place that I want to live, which is I don't want people who have disabilities or people who are struggling with mental illness to feel marginalized and otherized. And so this is like a really small way that I can be more inclusive with my language and also be a better communicator. Yes. And look, looking back over history, there's, I mean, there's a whole history of words that were once used that are not used anymore. Right. Like, phasing words out of existence or out of, you know, the context in which they're being used is not a new thing. Yeah. Um, perhaps doing it as in this thoughtful manner might be a bit of a change or doing it with the kind of the level of internet policing that we have happening right now yeah. is, is different for people, but it's, it's not a new idea. It's why you see, again, those like BuzzFeed lists of like words from the 1800s that we should maybe bring back. Right. Like, it's, it's a thing that's been going on. And I think we should not get our whole like, nobody's going to tell me what to do defenses up on it. Because honestly, language offers us so many wonderful options that we'll find new stuff. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many, yeah, you're so right. Like there's so many words like about people of color Mm -hmm. over the past couple of decades that we've let go of and moved towards more inclusive language for people who immediately understand why we need to let these words go and start using different language. You know, they're on the forefront of social change and also understanding where those words come from. You know, I mean, lame comes from like a reference to people with physical mobility issues and basically was a way of saying, you know, this person is broken. Yeah. And then it became a way to just say you're uncool. 
but knowing where words come from and how they were used, I think is a really powerful way to then use our vocabulary to advocate for the kind of world that we want to be in and the kind of change that we want. And it's really important for all of us to think about like Corey Silverberg said this amazing thing in a keynote that he gave a couple of years ago where he was saying that if he can just for a half a second be a little bit more mindful about his words so that what he's doing when he's speaking is he's reaching across the divide and creating a bridge, then we're going to have a much richer experience where we can have so much more potential for connection and real dialogue than if I just use a word that could potentially hurt or exclude this other person and then I really miss out on building that connection. And he's like, and all it is is just taking that half a second to think about a word. Yeah. And you could create connection or you could destroy connection. And I just thought that was so moving. And that was actually the point when I really started making significant changes to words I was using that were potentially transmisogynistic and, um, you know, transphobic and being exclusive to folks who were disabled. And, you know, I really started making a conscious, conscious effort to change the dialogue and all that it's done is enriched my experiences. Now I will say I have run into, um, some, um, cause there was talk of like, um, censorship, yeah. right? So I have run into some, like, can you not say the word dildo? Get that's you know offensive yeah. to me, um, and so there are moments where it it does turn into a like yeah. I just don't like that word. Um, right. Actually, even with with my crazy piece, somebody said to me, um, "It's it's offensive to use the word lazy because people use that negatively towards people all the time," and and that's true. But people also use the word ugly negatively. Like, there's just some yeah. words that just get used badly. Right. Um, so there, are, are there moments of genuine attempts at censorship? Yes, but you can usually pick them out. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think, you know, knowing that there's a history behind a word is mm-hmm. very easy to figure out. You know, it takes yep. a Google search. Like, I mean, <laughs> we all know when we say the word lame. One of the first things that comes to mind is like a horse that they're going to send to the glue factory. (laughs) So if you're using that about a person, it's probably not very kind. Yeah. Whereas if we're using the name of a body part, say I'm saying vagina. Yeah. And you, you know, the the person that I'm talking to feels super squicked out because Mm -hmm. I used vagina. Well, that's different. Yeah. You know, I'm not intentionally offending and they're having a reaction. They're allowed to have the reaction. But I think that we can have a different kind of conversation when that comes up. It's like we can, if we want to, if we want to put the time in, you know, like, tell me about that. Is there a word that you'd prefer that I use? I mean, it's still an opportunity for connection if you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But there, we are very definitely at a moment in time where very few people don't know the etymology of crazy, Mm -hmm. of lame, of, of that kind of family of words. Right. And I think we can all agree that, that they, they are hurtful and there's just so many better options. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, 
I want to thank our listener for writing in and offering your thoughts and also for going back and listening to all the past episodes. That was super awesome. <laughs> and I love that Joellen and I got to have this discussion because I think it's a really important one. Uh, and I have one other little question from a listener, Joellen, if you're up yes. for it, about sex shops. Oh, yay. Yay. Okay. So uh, somebody wrote in. It's it's actually quite a long email with a couple of different questions, so I'm just going to kind of zero in on this one section. And it says, hey, Dawn, new listener here. I just discovered your show, and I love it. I've been going back through the marathon style. I'm 31-year-old male, and I've had a pretty vanilla sex life. My last girlfriend was the first girl who ever did anal with me, and though I immediately swiped her hand away, I got intrigued about it after we broke up. So in one of the episodes you mentioned, I think episode 42, about going to a BDSM class, I'm really nervous. That's in all caps. I'm really <laughs> nervous about trying this, and I'm not sure that I will. You suggested maybe inquiring at a respectful sex shop, and I'm in New York near Babeland. And I've been there to purchase condoms, but how do I ask for advice without sounding like a complete creepy guy? Because I'm not. I'm very sweet, if I do say so myself. I never thought I'd be writing into a sex show admitting that I want to try these things, but thank you so much for any suggestions. So I love this question. Like, how can you go into a sex shop and ask about their classes and ask about learning without being that creep? Oh, yeah, I think, um, so, you know, I, I have much sex shop experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, for any readers who don't know, I did a tour of North America's best sex shops. So I have been in something like 55 shops in 11 states and two countries. So... Honestly, as long as you're going in with genuine interest and a, a desire to learn, it's very different than, um, you know, I got the stories about the creepy people. And for them, the creepy people are usually uh, pretty easy to spot because it usually has nothing to do with actual learning. They usually want super personal information about the staff yep. or to tell the staff super personal, really long stories about themselves. Yep. Um, they usually have no interest in classes or products. Um, and they usually uh, hang out. Well, I, I'm someone who hangs out in sex shops, so that's probably not a great criteria, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's usually a lot of like excessive hanging around or calling. Um, and this person does not sound like they intend to engage in any horrible behavior. They sound like they really just genuinely want to go in and learn. Yeah. And that's awesome. And I think Babeland would be a fabulous place for that. I totally agree. And I think you're so right. You know, I mean, if you go in thinking that it's going to be like a live porn experience, you know, yeah. you're going to have some educator that's like picking up a dildo and stroking it for you or you're asking them really... <laughs> Like, you know, one of the things that I struggle with on the podcast is I, I ask listeners to write in with stories and I constantly get stories about how people lost their virginity or their first threesome. And I love getting these stories so much, but there's a distinct difference between people who had something exciting happen to them and, or it's a funny memory and they just like write the story down enough that. I get the gist and then they send it over and I can read it. 
versus I also get stories from people and I'll say 99 out of 100 times it's someone who seems to be presenting as a cis guy. Mm-hmm. Write the story from a perspective of like trying to titillate and shock. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm going to tell you all these really gory details and, you know, like, I think it's almost this attempt to like turn me on or to be very like machismo about yeah. like, oh, I'm telling you this like sexy story that's going to turn <sighs> you on. And I almost never read those because they frankly turn me off and I don't like the tone of them. And so I think it's like all about your intent. I think if the intent is to go into babe land and like, it's okay to be nervous and awkward and shy and stumbly and to not know what words to use and to, you know, kind of like start and stop. I mean, all of us in sex education are used to that. Yep. Um, But if you're going in and you genuinely want to ask some questions and you're not sure where to start, it's okay to just say like, I heard about BDSM classes on a podcast and I wasn't sure if you offer that, but if you've got suggestions or resources, like I'm open to it. That's not being creepy at all. That's being genuinely curious versus like, ha, 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 do you have classes where you're going to spank me? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, fun fact, uh, Babe Land Actually, back then it was uh, Toys in Babeland in New York was the first sex shop I ever went into and, like, asked questions and had people teach me stuff. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. My first sex shop was a really dinky, dark, sticky-floored, gross little place where... I didn't feel comfortable asking any questions. And so I just kind of blindly picked a toy and hoped Mm -hmm. for the best. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I think that there's been a big, you know, a big change in sex toy retail in the past. I mean, that was 20 years ago, Uh, you know, in the past 20 years and with the advent of feminist owned toy stores and body safe shops and everybody being really focused on education yeah, going into, I mean, Babeland's great, and Shag in Brooklyn is really great. great. Please in Brooklyn uh, opened last year, and they're fabulous. And um, Pleasure Chest. Yeah. In New, York. New York has got, like, a bevy of good shops. Oh, they also have Eve's Garden. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 There's so many in New York. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're in New York or even any of the major cities like L.A., uh, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a problem finding classes on... BDSM 101 or basics of pegging or oral sex or any of those kinds of uh, sex and kink things that you might want to level up in or go on a date with with somebody just for something fun to do. And yeah, yeah, there's definitely lots to choose from. But, you know, don't call up a sex toy shop and be like jerking off as you ask (laughs) them about sex toys because I've I've gotten I've gotten those voicemails on the podcast too, and it pisses me off every time. Yeah, you yeah, know? and uh, yeah. I mean, I think that I think to you, listener that wrote in, your email was really respectful, and you made it really clear, clear that you're nervous, but that you're interested, and that's exactly what you know. Sex toy employees are used to is people who want to try something or need help with something, and they're not sure where to start, and they feel nervous and awkward, and that's just how everybody feels. So, um, Joellen, I would love for you to share with all of our listeners where they can find you online and how they can stay in touch with you because 
the, your blog and the stuff you put out is so amazing. And I want all the people to go check it out. Thank you. Um, so you can find me online at redheadbedhead.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Joellen Nottie, J-O-E-L-L-E-N-N-O-T-T-E. Um, I'm not going to send you to Facebook because Facebook's just awful these days. Yes. Um, right? Um, but those are the, the best places to find me. And if you go to my website, I actually have something called the Superhero Sex Shop List. And it will tell you where all the good sex shops are throughout the country. There's even a map. Yay! Um, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much fun. Um, so those are really the best places to find me at my site and on Twitter. Awesome. Yes. Well, I will have links to Joellen's website and Twitter on sexgetsreal.com, along with links to some of the shops that we mentioned so that everybody can go check that out. You can, of course, submit emails and questions to the podcast at sexgetsreal.com. There's an anonymous option, too, if you want to protect your identity. And Joellen, I just want to thank you so much for reaching out and for us getting to have this like really rich discussion and just kind of sharing thoughts and ideas. I think it's important for all of us to be talking about this, even if we don't have the answers. So yeah, yeah I super appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. You're so welcome. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in this week. I will be back next week with another rich and juicy interview. So stay tuned. And this is Don Sarah signing off. Bye.